welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we are talking Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Which I'm going to, I've already teased my thoughts on this before. It's an atrocious title. It is an atrocious. Yeah. I don't, I don't love it. Um, also, I don't feel like this movie was about the crimes of Grindelwald. No, it, it kind of felt. The, I mean, we'll talk about the movie itself. Totally. But, uh, because that's why you guys are here. <laughs> right. Uh, but the title to me kind of felt a little fan fiction-y. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, like... like. And I'm not deep into fan fiction, even though, warning everyone, this is going to be quite the nerdtastic episode. Oh, like, you think that we've nerded out before? <laughs> We're about to touch on Harry Potter. You guys just better be glad that there's not another Star Wars movie coming out this year. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I kind of want to dive right into it. This is going to be a tough one I, to not go into spoiler territory. Um, yeah, I'm thinking that we should just go on ahead and say... Like this episode in particular, we cannot guarantee freedom from spoilers. Yeah, this is gonna be it's gonna be tough, and also this movie suffers and celebrates middle moviedom, right? We right. know this is gonna be a trilogy. Um, a couple of housekeeping things before we get in the movie, though. Yeah. First of all, I teased in last week's episode we were trying to do something special for this one. We wanted to have a couple of our friends on as a guest as guests uh, for a platonic date night, but it just unfortunately didn't end up working out. So we'll have to get them on a future episode whenever everybody's schedule schedules are a little less crazy. Agreed. So, and uh, but we did go to the movies with some friends. Um, so we did have friends go with us, yes. but it's just us talking about. The movie. Right. Um, yeah, we actually did this one differently than we normally do, which I know you guys hear me say that like every week, but you know, we just keep throwing twists in there. Twists and turns. Um, this time we've actually seen the movie twice. Yes. Because whenever over the American Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we went and saw it with Jessica's parents because they both like the Harry Potter movies and we were going to record it. And we all love the original Fantastic Beasts. Right. Um, we were going to record an episode, but they decided to leave the next day instead of the day after, like we had originally thought. And we were like, well, we're not going to come down here and record an episode on their last night. So we were like, right. okay, well, you know, we'll just see it again. So literally, Jess and I have not talked about this movie in like a week and a half. Yeah, and actually, I'm really glad I did. We saw this one twice. Yeah, this we, is... we just saw it tonight. And it's like, it's like 1230 in the morning right now. Yes, we are in true fashion leaving the movie theater and coming down to talk to you all. Um, and I am glad that we did see this movie twice. Um, I, um, I, my relationship with Harry Potter is long and deep and I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and I wasn't sure what to feel about this movie the first time I saw it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am glad I saw this one for a second time, especially because it is, um, it is a nerddom that I, that is near and dear to my heart. Right. Um, so I'm really glad we saw that and I can't wait to tell more Harry Potter stories and to talk Fantastic Beasts. Well, two more pieces of, uh, housekeeping. Yes. First of all, dog of the podcast is Charlie. Now he's upset because he doesn't realize it's after midnight and we're not letting him outside. So well, he, I think he does realize it's after midnight and I think he thinks it's time to go to bed well he is sit he is laying down on the landing right outside of my studio just 
staring <laughs> at me. Do you have your phone on you? Can I you don't. Do? Here, I have my iPad. Jordan needs to get a new phone because my camera doesn't work, but I have my iPad right here, so I'm going to take a picture of this, and I'm going to make sure that Jessica puts this up on social media. A little little bear posting. Yeah. A um, couple more housekeeping. Um, thank you to everybody who's been reaching out to us. Um, it's really a huge joy. Um, Jordan and I have been crazy busy. Um, either, well, the end of the year for, I think, everyone is crazy really, really busy, but we've had a lot of personal things going on and I, I'm still in my Kung Fu uniform from this morning. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's just, just really been a busy time. So, uh, it means the world that you, that many of you join us every single week. Um, and getting some great feedback from you guys. Yes. And for those of you listening, uh, in the present day and not in the future, happy second night of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Um, may the light, shine brightly for you and uh we actually um we we like candles as well so um last bit of housekeeping i keep trying to do it and then jessica keeps pushing the boat off course just a little bit i don't uh, we're i'm housekeeping i know i'm just messing with you heavens uh drink of the podcast we need to introduce yes the drink of the podcast is Butterbeer. Yes, we actually, or no, I'm sorry, we, Jessica actually <laughs> made homemade butterbeer. Yeah, the recipe said to use pumpkin ale, and we used, we couldn't find one, because uh, we don't really live in a metropolitan area, um, like our home isn't in, so um, we used porter, I think it'd be better for the cold butterbeer with the porter. Yeah, well, so, so basically, the recipe we found for butterbeer is essentially just butterscotch syrup, which, you know... Not syrup, just not, butterscotch. Yeah, just butterscotch. I made, by the way, if butterscotch, homemade butterscotch, y'all, is so easy. And chocolate sauce, so easy. Quit buying it. It's so good. I'm not going to go thug kitchen on y'all. Just make it. It's so much better. Um, so it's literally that and then mixed properly with, with ale. Yes. Uh, so, like she said, it it asked for a pumpkin beer, which we didn't have, and I think that would have been yeah. I mean, money. The vanilla porter isn't bad. Like you, you came down here like it's a little bitter, and I actually like the way it tastes. Um, but our we also have it heated up right now. You can also do it where it's cold, and I think and the porter would have been good blended cold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, so basically, if you want to do cold butter beer, you take your beer of choice, hopefully something that feels a little fall-ish, yeah. uh, and then you pour the beer into the blender, and then you slowly blend it while you steadily pour the butterscotch in there, but you don't want to blend it too fast or too long, because then that'll make the beer flat. Yeah, um, but I highly recommend, um, so if you're listening to this and uh, you're s- safely at home, uh, also... The internet is full of butterbeer, um, adult and child-friendly uh, galore. Mm-hmm. So um, I highly encourage you for the rest of this episode to take a quick pause and join us back again with your own butterbeer. We'll wait. <laughs> Did you do it? Did, did you make your butterbeer yet? You got it? Okay. Okay, cool. If it's foamy, that's all that matters. Um, I also like ours because at Universal, they make it with cream soda. Mm-hmm. That's nasty. I'm cool with it, but I totally understand why you Man, aren't. I'm all about that Universal Harry Potter pumpkin juice. The pumpkin juice is actually pretty good. I'm all about that pumpkin juice. It's cl- really closer to like an apple cider. Yes, but it's like a pumpkin. It's so spicy. It's so, so good. Yeah. 
All right, should we actually talk about the movie? Yes. So what are we going to rate this movie in? I mean, do we want to go the easy route and do wands or... Negative, sir. I want to do it in baby nifflers. Ba- well, then we're going to start, like... We're going to start, like, uh, King Solomoning the baby <gasps> nifflers. Oh, no. We can't do that. Right. So anything anything uh-huh. inanimate? Hmm. We can do, like, gold footsteps... I mean, I guess we could do wands. We'll do wands just for the sake of ease? We can do wands. All right. We're, we're a little bummed out. If you guys th- if you guys know what we should have done instead, please let us know. Yes. And then maybe whenever we do a Harry Potter compendium, uh, we'll rate them. Oh, no. That'll be a dangerous few episodes. Well, no, I mean, it'll just be like the Halloween episode. We're just going to try their patience with it, you know? <laughs> uh, how many wands are you giving this one? I'm going to give it like a 4.2. I'm going to give it closer to a three and a half. Three, I was thinking three and a quarter, three and a half. So this is a movie that I've liked more than I thought about it. Mm-hmm. And the first time we saw it was with a full theater, very lively. And I felt um, like I was like Ginsberging and I was kind of the dissenter um, because I wasn't laughing as much. Watching it again, I think putting my guard down... Um, it's actually risen. Yeah, I can I can see that. And like you know, honestly, I think the Grinch went down a little bit from last week. Yeah, um, I also like I listened to our episode um, of the Grinch, and um, yeah, it went down. Yeah, I'd get, I'm at like a two and a half with the Grinch now. Ooh, rough. I mean that that's still right down the middle. That's not saying it's a bad movie, you know. Yeah, it's just if I'm gonna go watch something about the Grinch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go pick another one. Right. Anyway, moving on. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, this movie definitely suffered from sequelitis. Well, this movie more suffered from middleitis. Yeah. Because... It, it, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to preface it with, I don't hate this movie the way that the rest of the world does that I'm the about world to hates this movie no 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 that I'm gonna compare Fantastic Beasts to oh to uh oh it reminds me of the second Pirates of the Caribbean oh no and again I don't hate that movie no I haven't rewatched it in a while but like you know but it's certainly not the first right it, it, and that's the way it felt because we saw Fantastic Beasts and like I didn't grow up with Harry Potter the way that Jessica did. I I kind of resisted it. Um, just it, it just didn't click with me when I was younger. And you know, we're the age where we basically we basically started the series when Harry went to Hogwarts. Like we were the same age as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just didn't connect with me. So I was watching the movies because I happened to like this girl. <laughs> and I went to go see all the movies with her, and she eventually married me, and then I was like, oh yeah, I haven't read all these books, and so uh, I'm going to finish reading them one of these days. It's important. Right. Um, but so, like, I've gone and seen every Harry Potter movie uh, with Jessica since the third one, and I've enjoyed most of them. Uh, we went and saw Fantastic Beasts, and I loved it. 
Yeah. I just loved it. It is my favorite one out of the whole series. Yeah. And I felt, honestly, the feeling that I got from it was the same feeling as whenever the first Pirates of the Caribbean came out, which was, I'm surprised at how much I love this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this one kind of reminds me of the second one, which was just like, to me, it felt like such a sharp decline in quality. Yeah. Now, what I am going to say, just to give everybody an overview of my feelings of this movie, is that for me, the highs are really high. And yeah. the lows are just, oh, I wish that was better, you know? Yeah. Um, so on the f- on the other side of the coin, so I, I was a kid that didn't like popular things. Um, I was not, I, you know, I wasn't the kid that got teased all the time by any means. I just was very... I was kind of a jock and a kind of a nerd. So I was very much that kind of middle of the road kid. And I got Harry Potter for my 11th birthday. Mm -hmm. And it had just come to the United States. And I read the first ones that came to the U.S. And I read every book until the seventh one came out. Um, So when I saw Fantastic Beasts, to me, this was it was like the natural progression. Progression. It's mm-hmm. been part of my life. Um, one of my uh, shout out to the I think two thousand seven. I think two thousand seven Nashville um, Children's Theater interns. The all of us. It was when the seventh book came out, and uh, we all went and saw it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I rode the top of my car with a broom. So that's where I come with this film. So if if you're a total Harry Potter nerd and you know what your wand is and what how what British and American houses you're in and what your Patronus is, holla, I'm your sister. Um, So going in to see this movie, I I was very aware that this is a trilogy and it's, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's like five movies. It's yeah. And one of the things that really bothered me in this movie, and I need to give a little back story. So again, let, I say all of that to let you know, I know, I know my, my Harry Potter. However, I don't, me as a human being, just don't get into fandom. So I feel like J.K. Rowling is an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. You can't deny the magic of Harry Potter and how you can start reading it at 11 and by the time you finish book seven at like 18, 19 years old, you're ready for it. You're mentally, I remember reading the fifth book and going through like puberty with Harry and I was like, yeah, he's so moody. I'm moody too. Like I got it. And I read it as an adult and I'm like, get over yourself. (laughs) Um, And I thought, I was so surprised on how, because J.K. Rowling is not a screenwriter please know that I love everything she does. This movie wasn't very well written. I was surprised because I felt the same way. Yeah, and it broke a lot of the mythology like crazy. For no purpose. For no purpose. And um, and one of the things, this is not a spoiler, so if you're listening on the way of the movie, this won't ruin anything. Minerva McGonagall is in this movie. Correct. Minerva McGonagall could have been a student at Hogwarts at this time. They had her in a flashback with Newt when he was in school. She wasn't teaching by then. And it and for such a powerful like McGonagall is in parts of Harry Potter that to this day as a grown woman, 
I weep when she puts the guards do your duty to your school. Mm-hmm. I can't deal whether I read or see it. And the in the I think it's the fifth movie with uh, the woman who takes over Hogwarts. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The scene with them going up and down the stairs. I yeah. just I just love that. Right. So you take this incredible character and very important character. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. And you just throw her in and you don't let her be Minerva McGonagall? Well, here's the thing, too, is that this movie takes place in 1927. According to some Harry Potter geeks that I have listened to, uh, McGonagall's supposed to have been born in 1935. She's not even born yet. Yeah, so not only is she not not supposed to be an adult in this movie, uh, she's not even supposed to be born yet. Now... This sounds like a really nitpicky thing, and I also, uh, 2017 taught me not to take part in fandom either, because I love Rick and Morty, and I love Star Wars, and I've seen what fans do when they get their when they get their hands on it, and there's no reason why you should riot over Szechuan sauce. Um, no one should riot. Uh, and, and like... And we're in both of us are in different fandoms. Like I'm a doctor, I'm like a Whovian, which I'm way behind, so forgive me, please don't ask me questions, I'm way behind. Um... And a Potterhead. And it's, people are allowed to dream and imagine, but the world is bigger, y'all. <laughs> well, so, like, again, and this sounds like we're just being super nitpicky. I wouldn't be so nitpicky about this if they actually gave her something to do. But literally, yeah. it could have been any woman with a Scottish accent, and they didn't have to say her name. They could have overdubbed a different name. Oh, uh, they could have ADR'd totally. a different name, and the story wouldn't have changed. So it's just distracting that there's this major character that gets nothing to do, and then you start spiraling down the well. Wait a minute, she's not even supposed to be born yet, right? And it was just, and it was an unnecessary spiral. And the and the actions of this actress mm-hmm. were cute and funny, and she was a fiery teacher. She, and I dug I mean, that she did a good young Maggie Smith. Yeah, but, she was lovely, and the, it's no, it's just on. It was just on the writing. And to me, that was just extremely distracting. Um, I will say, uh, you know, Eddie Redmayne, I know there's like this thing, I've heard it a long time ago that like a lot of heterosexual males just want to punch Eddie Redmayne in the face. There is something about him. And I, I say that with a grain of salt because I know how great he is, but Man, I think it's some kind of biological thing. It you might know? be because I endear him and I think his his specificity in this role and I when I saw Fantastic the first Fantastic Beasts when I thought that it was gonna be like Fantastic Beasts a second movie and a third movie that maybe did or did not have things to do with each other maybe Mm -hmm. timeline and they were a cause and effect and I remember thinking oh I'm sad to say goodbye to Newt Scamander um and I I was just quite delighted to see him back. And I think Eddie Redmayne makes really great choices and I, is super specific. I just totally dig it. I love him in this role. And I, yeah. was, I said this after the first Fantastic Beast. He's basically like Harry Potter's Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, you know, because not only is he like quirky, he wears a coat and a bow tie. Uh, he's got something with him that's bigger on the inside. Oh my uh, God, he is Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, wear fezzes. Fezzes are cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, and I really like him in this movie, and I like the character of Newt Scamander. Um, 
I I loved all the characters, the main characters in the first movie, and I think what bums me out about this one is that they sidelined them all. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna get into some spoiler territory early. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, um, because this won't spoil anything, and then we'll take a break. I want to talk about two things with you. Okay. How great is David Yates? I go back and forth. Oh my god, I love him. I th- I think he consistently makes really good movies. I do so, too. So by that, yes, there are some things that, like you already talked about, that this movie isn't very well written. There were parts where I couldn't. I was having to decide if it wasn't very well written or wasn't very well directed. I think mm. again, when David Yates is on, he's on, and when he's off, he's clumsy. I can see that this movie did feel clunkier. Mm-hmm. Um. Than I would suspect from a David Yates film. Did you ever see his Tarzan? Which which was which one was his Tarzan? Uh, I think it was Alexander Skarsgård and Margot Robbie. Oh no, I didn't. I I heard mixed things about it, but I wanted to see it because like that's the only non Harry Potter movie that he's done since he started doing Harry Potter movies. Yeah. So I I am. I was interested to see that because I do think that he's overall a very good director, and the fact that he has the stamina to keep doing these movies in the same universe, and he I, does these these movies in the same universe that you can you can tell his touch, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get in the way, right? And I feel like David Yates has this remarkable whimsy that is just quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even something so silly as the port key in this movie is a bucket. Mm-hmm. And there's green flecks. And when it comes to visual effects, yes, you have a whole team and they're creating things on their own and the visual team director who's doing that. But there's something in, in the David Yates universe and then the story that this little green flecks, I feel like was how he communicated that should look. Mm-hmm. And I just can always tell his hand, especially when he started taking over the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. What's something that he did prior to some HP? Uh, I honestly can't tell you. I'm looking it up right now. I think it's kind of like a Cary Fukunaga situation where like, cause you know, Cary Fukunaga, before he did Tree Detective and then wrote It and did Beast of No Nation and all this stuff, he did a version of Jane Eyre. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, like, I think, I want to say David Yates did, like, some BBC movies. Gotcha. Um, well, I mean, and that's still worthy. Gosh. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not disparaging Well, I mean, I, I was, um, I've been on a lot of TV, especially in the past few years, and TV directors, you really have to work really fast and dirty and share the space with possibly the next episode's director, um, and you get a lot done in a very, very short time, so... That's pretty cool. David Yates has done quite a bit. It looks like they've mostly been BBC productions. Okay. Uh, Lots of TV. He did the original State of Play, which, you know, the U.S. got the remake with Ben Affleck in it. Uh, He did a movie called The Girl in the Cafe right before he did Harry Potter 5. Okay. Uh, And then since Harry Potter 5, he did 5, 6, 7, and 8. He did something called Tyrant, which I think was an episode of a show on Fox or on FX. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he did Tarzan, and then the two Fantastic Beasts movies. That's busy. Yeah, that's that's the thing is like he he doesn't have the most diverse uh, IMDb out there, but he's been working consistently since the early nineties. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, incredible, um, and I just think <clears throat> I can see where you say clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I will say, there's a part in this movie that I wanted the power of the Battle of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. I, I yearned for it. And it... It reminded me a lot of... There are parts of this that reminded me a lot of Her- the fifth Harry Potter, which isn't my favorite movie. Okay. Um, That's the Order of Phoenix. Right. Uh, the The climax of this movie reminded me a lot of the climax of that movie. Which is, honestly... Hinges on the writing. Yeah. Order of Phoenix is... It's a story to get to another story. Right. And, and yeah. Uh, this... Parts of it also kind of reminded me of the Star Wars prequels. Oh, no. It This movie was structured... No. No, this movie was structured a lot like The Phantom Menace. Really? Yeah, I, I think so. Um... I don't know if I agree with that. You know, you know what it was really is the fact that, like, it's exposition, exposition. Something happens. Exposition. Introduce a character. Exposition. I mean, exhibition. It, something happens, and then big thing at the end. Lead into the next movie. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's middled moviedom. Yeah, it suffered from it, and I don't, and I just don't know how you make a middle movie not do that. Because uh, it has to take from the first movie and set up the finale. I mean, The Dark Knight did it. Well, The Dark Knight doesn't count. Two Towers sucks. I wouldn't say Two Towers sucks. It's definitely the middle movie. Oh my God. I remember reading Two Towers for the first time and I was like, ugh, must finish. All right. Let's think of good middle movies, whether it's like the second in a trilogy or the third in a quadrology or something like that. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Um, Godfather 2? Ah, no. I mean, Godfather 1 is still better. Godfather 2 is such a middle movie. Godfather, but and again, it, to me, it's a middle movie kind of like this is, where the highs are really high. So I wouldn't put it in this list. Um, okay, then... Veto. All right, Aliens. Ooh, better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Can we think of anything else? No, because most middle movies are middle movies. Yeah. Indiana Jones doesn't really count because they're so episodic. It is episodic, and it's always the same structure. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, because Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones. Yeah. I wouldn't put it in a quadrology or whatever it is now. Oh, obvious one. What? Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. Sure. I can't think of any more right because now. Because middle movies are designed for to take the the first movie and connect it to the finale or and not pull a Peter Jackson and we watch 5,000 hours of a movie. <sighs> the Hobbit. No, Hobbit doesn't count. Hobbit, Hobbit, no. Are you as tired as I am of filmmakers and storytellers who, like, who go out of their way to try and tell this big epic story over the course of like all these movies or something like that, and that—that's I mean, a really stupid that question. That really harsh. Yeah. Uh, no. I I I get really over it because I would rather just see people tell. I think that's one of the reasons why Dark Knight works so well is because they didn't plan on it necessarily being a trilogy. They, they didn't go into it thinking, oh, and here's how we're going to set up this movie and this movie. Right. I mean, and maybe they did. I know that there were some story changes that happened like right before filming started. Right. But 
but like to me it was like let's just focus on doing this movie we're making let's focus on Batman yeah I, I I didn't whenever we saw Fantastic Beasts opening weekend the first one yes uh, and then immediately after we saw that, they were like, and we have four more movies ready to go. I'm like, oh, damn it. Right, because Fantastic Beasts, when we saw it, be, let it be known. So we saw Fantastic, the first one. We went like on our little mini, we try to get away every holiday season. We have failed this year. Yeah. Um, but we we did one of our getaways, and instead of just, having a getaway, we also went back and saw the movie because we really, really wanted to see it. Yeah. And it just has, it was, I would have given that movie a five. I still oh, watch it too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. We probably watch that movie at least six times a year. Probably. Yeah. And also because sometimes it's just need a happy movie. Yeah. It's, it's really hard sometimes to get Jessica to watch a new movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very busy. I'm very tired. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before the break, because I think then we need to like, yeah, do some digging. I have one thing that I want to talk about if it's not the thing that you're about to bring up too. Music. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. High five. <laughs> Fully. <laughs> Movie magic. For those of you who don't get the joke, I just clapped. <laughs> Where we don't sit next to each other. No, I've got to stay here in man pro tools. Yes, I'm very proud of you. Music. Um, I love James Newton Howard. I do too. I have always loved James Newton Howard. When did you, the love affair begin? I mean, the first time I guess I really noticed, and remember, I was kind of a late bloomer musically as well. Mm -hmm. um, definitely as far as composition goes. Um, but, uh, I mean, The Sixth Sense. Ooh. Um, let's see. Yeah, because he did... He did he all did of he did all of Shyamalan's classic movies, and I think and, I think The Village is still one of my favorite scores of his. Ooh, that is a good score. Uh, and I will did he he did the first Fantastic Beasts, yeah. He did, yes. What he does a really good job of in this series so far, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the you know the next movies will prove no different if he's on them. I'm sure he will be. Um, he takes the classic Harry Potter sound. And makes it his own thing. And so something I love about Fantastic Beasts, and for those of you who know me have heard me say this too many times, so fast forward the next 20 seconds if you, if you know me. <laughs> um, Fantastic Beasts is what I wanted The Hobbit to be. Yes. This is what I mean by that. When The Hobbit came out, we paid way too much money to go see it. Because I wanted to be transported back to Middle Earth. I wanted to go back to the Fellowship. I wanted to go there. I wanted to see those things. I wanted to see Bilbo. Even though Jordan and I, please don't hate us. Please, please keep your subscription. But neither of us like the Hobbit book. No. No. I've never finished it in all my years. I have tried. I tried as a child. I tried as a teenager. And I've tried as an adult multiple times and I don't like it. So I was hoping the Hobbit would transport me back and it just didn't. And Fantastic Beast transported me back to the world of wizards and witches. And mm -hmm. I was overjoyed. So I was so glad to be back. And when I saw that movie in the theater and it, there was the Harry Potter theme, but then it transitioned and I felt at home. 
I love the music in the first one. A, because he adapts the John Williams themes very well. Yes. But B, there was so much originality to there, like the little jaunty jazz theme that plays throughout. So, a little history on James Newton Howard. Okay. Uh, I think it was the late 70s or in the 80s. He was uh, one of Elton John's keyboard players. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, he was also like BFFs with Toto, the band Toto. Uh-uh. Yeah, there's there's a... Man, I sing Africa too much and I don't even know where it comes from. Uh, there's an album uh, that he did called James Newton Howard and Friends. That's just him with Toto, basically. And the way that he describes it, he's like, I mean, it was basically a Toto album because they're all so much better than me. Oh. <laughs> um, but James Newton Howard got into film scoring in the 80s. Uh, I'm going to read off a few of his earlier works because you'll be surprised at how many of these you've seen and not realize that it's him. Uh, Major League. <gasps> Hysterical. We were yeah. just talking about that movie. Pretty Woman. Wow. Um, Three Men and a Little Lady. I'm skipping a lot of these, by the way. My Girl. <gasps> oh, uh, my girl. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Okay. Um, wow. Like, classic. Yeah, The Fugitive. Really? Yeah, he was actually nominated for an Oscar for The Fugitive. Well, that's cool. Uh, Junior. Hysterical. Waterworld, which I love the music for Waterworld. I mean, who doesn't? Gotta be real. And for those of you who watch the Waterworld stunt show, you his themes are still in that. Yeah. Uh, Space Jam. Space Jam, Space Jam. My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, I love that movie. Runaway Bride. He, he did a lot of Julia Roberts movies. He sure did. Yeah. Uh, Sixth Sense, like I said. Uh, Unbreakable, basically all the classic Shyamalan. Uh, I'm probably going to be judged by calling it classic Shyamalan, but I stand by that. We are Shyamalan apologists. We are a thousand percent apologists, guys. Um, Y'all. Let's see. uh, Although I'm not excited about the next one. I am. I am not. Well, am I going to go see that by myself? I I think it's going to be an interesting episode is what it will be. Uh, He did the Peter Jackson King Kong. I love that one. He was the co-composer for Batman Begins in Dark Knight. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, now we're getting into the 2007s where you kind of, like, 2007 and beyond, you kind of know the ones that he's done from there because he's, like, one of the top composers out there. But, yeah, I wish this movie would have allowed him to have a little more fun. That's the only thing. Yeah, this movie didn't, so the first one... Man, it, it, it kind of beat, it had its own rhythm to the movie, mm-hmm. and it was very much about the beasts, which yeah. is really great. And now this movie wasn't supposed to be, but it's definitely, you know how I said had said, oh, mercy, that uh, butterbeer is something. Right. Um, you know how I said that I wanted, I, there was, I wanted the build of the Battle of Hogwarts, uh-huh. which is tough in a middle movie. Um, that's all this movie was building up to. Yeah. And... It's very difficult storytelling. It's like if the two towers didn't have the Battle of Helm's Deep at the end. Oh, right. We'd be all like... And and Battle of Helm's Deep is great. Oh, my God. Yeah. The Ents? Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, no, Helm's Deep. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Well, no, because the the Ents happened at the same time as Helm's Deep. Right, but that's at the towers. That's a different battle. But it's intercut. In the movie, in the book, it's... It's around the same time. Oh. Any hoozles, can you imagine this movie with a slow score? No, it would have been a slog. It would have been a slog. Yeah. This and what I really appreciate about 
about it. So Zoe Kravitz, I thought was lovely. Mm-hmm. I don't get her ending. I don't get it. No. It, but I get it because the score told me how to feel. Right. What, and, and I needed it. We'll talk about that ending here in a little bit. The main thing is, so this movie takes place in Paris for yes. the most part. Yes. Um, James Newton Howard in the first movie, he had a lot of fun with feeling like 1920s New York in a lot of his music. Loved it. I wanted to feel 1920s Paris and more of the score. Oh my God. Do you know in the, in the trailer there was another, you remember the, the speakeasy uh-huh. in the first one? Yeah. There was more of that in the trailers and there was none of that in the movie. Well, there's a whole underground circus in this movie and the music didn't reflect that. No. Which, it was just disappointing to me. You, you know what? Honestly, I wished the music in some of the Paris scenes felt a little more like The Shape of Water. Oh. Because The Shape of Water, the music is very French. Yes, it is. So I wanted it to kind of feel like that. And I was expecting that because, again, he did so well in the first one. And like he sounded like he had fun with it. It sounded like... Kind of like how we talked about with The Grinch last week with Danny Elfman, is that it sounded like he was directed to keep things a certain way. And I like again, the music was great. And like you said, it it if it were if it were if it weren't there and it weren't him, then the movie would have been harder to get through. But yes. I I wish that I had heard him stretch out and have a little more fun. Yeah, I could see. But that's my problem with most of the movie, though. Right, and but it it had to build to it had to build to this this seriousness. Yeah. Well, I think we've about talked about everything we can without talking about spoilers because we we definitely still like we haven't really even touched on the characters or anything. And I know. Some of the choices and on we the just got and we got to dive. Yeah. So let's go on ahead and take a quick break, and let's get back and let's uh, take the kid gloves yes, off and enjoy these awesome from our sponsors because it's the holidays, so you need to go shopping. Yeah. Alright guys, well, we will be right back. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's. R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. All right, everybody, we are back talking about Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. My, my skin just crawled. Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Which, so if you're part of the Harry Potter fandom, this, this what's leading up to the, mm-hmm. the Dumbledore Grindelwald is a big deal. Yeah. And it's kind of exciting to, we're going to see that, right? Yeah. But um, this, was an, this was interesting, especially knowing a lot of the lore. Uh they yeah, in the books, they don't go too in depth with the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Yes, do they? they do. Because mm-hmm. I've asked you about it, and then you basically just like, oh well, it's just this, and then we're gonna find out the rest. Yes and no. So it's a it's it's a little tedious, but essentially you find out. Okay. Spoilers. Here we go, everybody. The nerds coming out. 
she's ready and she's raring to go. So basically, um, Dumbledore, the Dumbledores, mm-hmm. um, they... Are they Hatfields or McCoys? Oh, I can't even remember which is which. <laughs> oh, I mean, Hatfields and McCoys are just both rednecks. Okay, neither. Bad joke. It was a bad joke. So Dumbledore's father, Percival, ends up in Azkaban and dies. And his mother and what we understand of the Dumbledores is it's Albus, Aberforth, which you mean Aberforth, in the Harry Potter Yeah, he, he runs the tavern, right? The Hogshead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And their sister, Ariana. One summer, so they moved to Godric's Hollow, which is where Harry Potter was born, and um, um, the woman who wrote History of Magic, Bethilda Bagshot, also lives in Godric Hollow. I believe Grindelwald is his her like nephew, I believe. Um, I'm blanking on it right now, but family. Grindelwald comes with Albus Dumbledore. They become best friends. They actually start looking for the Deathly Hollows. That's why why Grindelwald has the Elder Wand. Mm-hmm. He has the most powerful wand ever, and Dumbledore has it because he, spoiler, defeats Grindelwald. Right, right. That's that's in the lore. Um, they become best friends, and Dumbledore is known, f- and it's very apparent in these movies how manipulative he is and he seeks power and he at some at one point has the deathly hollows and he realizes how hungry he is for power that hunger for power is what kills his sister mm-hmm. and aberforth fights grindelwald and and dumbledore kind of gets in the middle of it and one of them ends up killing their sister mm-hmm. and that's one of the things he regrets um but uh, Dumbledore is gay, and it is um, clear through this movie that one of his relationships was Grindelwald. So, and then he loves him. That's one thing that I was going to mention in terms of the directing. Because I remember uh, whenever we came into this, I was like, so I know Dumbledore is gay. Was he in a relationship with Grindelwald? And I remember you kind of was just like, well, maybe, you know, I'm not, it doesn't really say. And then as we watched this movie, you're like, oh yeah, he totally was. Oh, totally. Because... It's da- not clear in the books. Yeah, David Yates' subtlety isn't always very subtle. <laughs> no. And that's what I mean by clumsy, because like there's a, there's a scene where you see like the young Dumbledore and young Grindelwald, which apparently like those are the same actors who played them in flashbacks in the Harry Potter proper series. They were they were. Um but like you see them like kind of caress each other's hands and like interlock fingers whenever they do their uh and you know, they they do like a blood pact. Mm-hmm. And you could just say that they were just putting their hands together, but, but they were not. No, they're that, and again, subtlety, uh, the camera lingered on their hands. And like, you know how whenever you see a lingering camera, a lot of times you find it whenever it's a male director and it's like a woman's ass or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell, oh, he's just lingering on this. They were, I'm not saying that there was any kind of like fetishism in this shot, but they were definitely lingering it on lingered. their hands for a reason. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm kind of okay with that no, because I'm, yeah. I... What I also loved, so in the mirror of Erised, which uh, Dumbledore is looking in, when Harry Potter discovers the mirror of Erised, he sees his family. Right. Dumbledore tells him, don't look too longingly in it because a lot of people waste away. Right. Wishing. Mm-hmm. And Harry asks him, what do you see? And he goes, I see a warm pair of socks. Mm-hmm. And you know that's not true. Right. Right. And he looks in the mirror of Erised and sees Grindelwald. 
and right. it shows you what your heart yearns for the most. Well, and Jude Law does a great job at like playing that yearning. Oh, and yeah. I want to make sure that everybody understands I'm not getting like freaked out by two guys caressing hands or something like that. All I'm saying is that it wasn't subtle. It was not subtle. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, uh, well, uh, we saw it with Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so Sam was our guest for Stars Born. And she goes, why were people complaining that it wasn't enough? Like, it wasn't clear that they were gay. It was abundantly clear. Yeah. So if you... So if you felt like that wasn't clear... Also, this is a movie set in a time period where people maybe weren't as open about it. Right. It was definitely not an... This is not an LGBTQ film. Right. No. But... It is very clear that they're in a relationship. But one thing that I one thing that I liked about that is that it didn't make it it didn't make it become an issues movie. Well, it wasn't sexual, right? It, like, yeah, it wasn't like you know Dumbledore wanted Grindelwald's body; he wanted the relationship that they had, and yes. that's just an aspect of the character without it being an issue, right? And it's far more. I think it's a lot stronger, yeah, in that aspect as well. Um, and I, I thought Jude Law was great. Mm-hmm. However, I've really loved the memes. So in the Harry Potter universe, you see a lot of flashbacks. I think I know what you're talking about. And it's about. like it's like Dumbledore 1928 and like 20 years later, he's like the 500-year-old. Yeah, and he, it's like, what happened? Yeah, he goes from being suave Jude Law in Tweed, which Jude Law is rocking the Tweed. Uh, he rocks everything, um, let's be real. And then... In 20 years, he goes to being uh, Michael Gambon with the long beard and the gown and everything. And they're like, what happened? And I think maybe that's what we find out in the next movie. Well, apparently the series is going to go all the way up until the end of World War II. Wow. Yeah. So whenever they do the foreshadowing of World War II in here, apparently like, apparently that like that is when the series is going to end. It's like 1945. That's the wow. current plan. Well, Jude Law better get to growing his beard out. Yep. No. So overall, you were good with Jude Law's Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah, because Dumbledore is very suave, and one thing that I've come to terms with as an adult, mm-hmm. um, in reading, reading Harry Potter, and then also I've read Cursed Child. Right. And Dumbledore was an amazing wizard. And he was very powerful, but he was extremely manipulative. Mm -hmm. Like he's even getting Newt to go to America, but that's even subversive and getting Harry to do things. And these were all, and he was, these were kind of necessary evils. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of dug how they didn't shy away from that. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because especially like, you know, and of course, I'm talking about it more from the perspective of the movies because that's what I'm more familiar with. Of course. But like the Richard Harris Dumbledore was like the kindly old wizard. And then once it got, you know, of course, Richard Harris passed away. Um, once it got to Michael Gambon, and I know a lot of the purists aren't really crazy about Michael Gambon. No, like when he, so in the book for like Goblet of Fire, <laughs> like Dumbledore's like Harry, like really worried about Harry, but Michael Gambon attacks him. Yeah. It's insane. But I think Michael Gambon does the manipulative part very well. He also... I mean, he's just a good actor. He's a great actor. And I don't... And I'm not a purist of anything, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm pretty pretty flexible and pretty f- swayable. Um, but I think he plays the, the youthfulness and the nimbleness of Dumbledore really mm-hmm. well. And I think Jude Law caught a lot of that... Sp- that sprite 
um, with his seriousness. Now, what's so interesting about Jude Law is this, all of this, we don't, this, we're not to Michael Gambon yet, meaning this battle that we're about to see probably in the next couple movies, I don't know when we'll see it officially, is what shapes Dumbledore. Right. They wanted him to be the Minister of Magic after this. Yeah. Yeah, like Dumbledore had the possibility to run the wizarding world but he also went no that's my problem mm-hmm. that's why because he he created the deathly hollows and the greater good with grindelwald mm-hmm. dumbledore helped create that and and thusly that's what turned that's what made voldemort did you see not all the allusions to what became the death eaters oh yeah so dumbledore helped create all of that yeah, so one thing that I saw in in this movie too is that so Grindelwald is kind of the pre it's not kind of he's the precursor to Voldemort. Yes. Um and Grindelwald's followers are the precursors of the Death Eaters. Yes. Like there's a clear line. Yes. So did we see the creation of the actual Dumbledore's army in this movie then? There's no Dumbledore's army. Well, all right, so the order of the, the order of the Phoenix cuz Dumbledore all right, Dumbledore's army was what Harry created, right? And, yeah, that, and no, Hermione created it. Okay. Um, and Hermione created the DA mm-hmm. just because that was when Umbridge was there and they wanted to learn defense against dark arts. Right. So that's not an actual thing. Okay, okay. I For some reason, I thought that like it was resurrecting something. No, 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 no. Um, the Order of the Phoenix was a direct result of trying to defeat Voldemort. There is no order. Uh, to defeat Grindelwald. Gotcha. Grindelwald is considered so dangerous that the only person, like Grindelwald may possibly, I mean, he was so afeared that by the time the like Voldemort came around, they had an idea that like, well, if Grindelwald could be defeated, so Voldemort had to be even more powerful because they knew that it could be defeated. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, go on with some other characters then. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, do, you, do you remember... So we watched the first Fantastic Beast again right before Thanksgiving. Yes. Do you remember what I, one of the first things I said after the movie ended was? Mm-mm. Because the first movie ends with Queenie and Jacob recognizing each other. Well, he recognizes her and just like his heart flutters and he's yeah. like, I know you. And the first thing I said to you was, I like them together. I hope the next movie doesn't screw that up. And boy, did they. I'm glad I said it out loud because I think it prepared me for it. So I don't, I don't like the rushed exposition of no. that they give this movie. And I don't like the character choices because they don't seem like they make a whole lot of no, sense. No, and I also don't like that they completely, the consequences of the first movie. Mm-hmm. And they renounced it. Yeah. And it took me watching this movie two times to fully understand that um, Newt and Tina had been writing each other letters and that they had more of a relationship, that she was even more heartbroken when the magazine messed up that he and Lita were engaged. Mm -hmm. And then for, and I've been reading 
a lot of this lore for a very long time. And no part of Obliviate is, oh no, it's just the bad things. Yeah. That is, like J.K. Rowling went back on her own word. I, yeah, and he says, you said it yourself. I feel like they were kind of gaslighting us. They did gaslight us. Mm-hmm. I, and I know that's kind of like a buzzword now, but it applies. Well, for those of us who felt it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I had a problem with that, and like they rushed that, it it's, again, it's one of my favorite ways to describe something. You remember that movie, Thank You for Smoking? Of course. All right, uh, when he's talking with Rob Lowe about how they get cigarettes in space, and they're like, well, wouldn't the fire just cause everything to explode in an oxygen-rich environment? And Rob Lowe's like, yeah, but that's easy. All we have to do is just say, oh, thank God we invented the whatever device, and then just move on. And they basically whatever device does in this movie, and I did yeah. not like it. I did not like... I also wanted to see more uh, Bunty. Yeah. And that's the thing is that like they sidelined every... like The most interesting characters. And I do think that that is a problem that that is precedented in the first Fantastic Beasts. For example, getting rid of Colin Farrell for Johnny Depp. Oh, bummer town. Yeah, I would have much rather seen Colin Farrell... Uh, and again, I think Johnny Depp's a fine actor. Watching a Johnny Depp movie comes with baggage now because you know how crazy he is. And, you know, you know, there's also the possibility of the fact that he might be a wife beater, too. You know? Yeah, it never helps. And, and again, I'm not... That sounds like I'm trying to give benefit of the doubt for the sake of a guy's career. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just trying not to turn this podcast into one of the, these episodes, you know? Yeah, and I just... Well... I can't think of many people that I know that when that reveal happened at the end of the last movie, that and no one Every, I know. Everybody's like, oh, come on. We all were like, oh, crap. Um, it's a great line on The Good Place where uh, where Tahani is saying, you know, you get really good at lying hanging out with Johnny Depp. Like, oh, no, your whole thing isn't exhausting at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. And I just, and like, Oh no, Credence lived, and you're like, no, well, no, because that's the whole consequence. The watch, end of that movie is so upsetting because watching the end of that movie, though, they did leave it open. I don't think they did. They, well, all right. Here's the thing. They, uh, they like had I, every horror in New York blast him. Here's the thing. So story wise, I don't think they left it open again. Clumsy David Yates moment here is that uh, right at the end of it, Newt looks and it lingers on a shot of like, you know, just the last little bit of the uh, Obscurus before it like floats away. And so that I think just knowing what I know about filmmaking, that was their way of being like, you know, well, here's the Credence possibly living. Yeah, but so they say that like this Obscurus is extremely potent and possibly the only way to beat Dumbledore, right? Uh And he survived every horror in Brooklyn shooting at him. Yeah. However, he fights that one horror in this movie mm-hmm. um, after he kills the nanny. Yeah. Um, bubble of protection, totally fine. He did like, you know, pro- pro- one of the protection spells, and he and and the uh, and he couldn't defeat that. What if you can't defeat that one horror, who they made such a big deal, but I couldn't even tell you his name, then. How is he going to be Dumbledore? Right. So, again, and it's clumsy exposition in this movie. Because uh, I think the reveal of Credence being the uh, being the Obscurus in the first movie was really good. And the way really that they handled good. it was good. And they shot it like a horror movie, which was great, you know? It was scary. Um, 
But now they just kind of turned him into a whatever character, you know? Well, and I need to know who I am. I need to know who I am. Girl, we all do. Nobody's... That's never been a plot device in the movie before. Well, and it just wasn't strong. No. This is... So... I think this the writing of this movie, again, we lo- both love J.K. Rowling. Love but, her, love her, love her, and I follow her Twitter feed like it's crack. Like, But to me, this is True Detective Season 1 versus True Detective Season 2. Whenever you realize, oh, maybe Nick Pizzolatto needs somebody else to help him out here. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think J.K. Rowling kind of needs an experienced screenwriter. It needed a little bit more uh, deft of a hand. But... Still, though, I'm just shocked that we're saying that because she went back and messed up a lot of her own rules and established lore. And I think that's what I'm, I'm most bothered by. Yeah. Is I don't, like, what do I, what can I trust now? Um, and facetiously I say that, but I also, like, if, if that's not the truth, then, you know, it, it makes it tough to understand. And also, with the Dumbledores... Um, like Rita Skeeter, which you learn even more about Dumbledore as Hermione's like reading that book. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't say anything about that. And you learn a lot about the this whole thing with Grindelwald throughout the books mm-hmm. and, and over time. And it just seems so bizarre to me to make him a Dumbledore. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's the big spoiler. Is apparently Credence is a long lost brother to Albus Dumbledore. Yep, that we've never heard of before. No, and um, I don't. I'm not the one that tem- tends to look up um, articles, but I was like, wait, wait, hold on. So I looked up uh, Dumbledore's father well, it was Percival. Okay, and I couldn't find Aurelius, and I so I'm gonna go finish some articles because I feel like I need to. I don't know. I just have no idea. It makes no sense in my little pea brain. So just an interesting little uh, movie connection here. Sure. So uh, Credence's possible re- real name is Aurelius Dumbledore, right? Yes. Dumbledore was first played by Richard Harris, right? Yes. Richard Harris was in Gladiator playing the Emperor, <gasps> Marcus Aurelius. That's cool. Yeah. A little bit of Jordan movie geek dumb there. That's pretty great. Um... While we're talking about characters, there's one specific one that I want to mention, so help me remember that I wanted to mention this, but let's kind of go through. Um, I really did not like them sidelining, uh, sidelining Tina. Yeah. Um, and, like, they gave her nothing to do. No. And, like, literally she was just there. And again, this is our old friend, to use the Roger Ebert quote, the idiot plot. We know what the misunderstanding between her and Newt was from the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Literally, that's one of the first things you see after the intro, um, is the fact that uh, the fact that Lita is engaged to his brother. Right. Uh, but then, and then you find out that Tina thinks that Newt is actually engaged to Lita, and that's what estranges them. And he says from the beginning, "Oh no, that was a typo." And then the movie literally goes on for another almost. I would say almost an hour and a half uh, without that being resolved. So we're sitting there and we're being like, stop being dumbasses. Just talk. Also, you know and, what would have been wonderfully different? Mm-hmm. If she went and said, no, I love you. Forget her. Yeah. And you could have said, no, you're all... And like, just 
boom, love. And then it would have made Queenie even more jealous that she couldn't love Jacob and Jacob was worried about her. Like we can, we don't, filmmakers, my yeah. fellow filmmakers, lend me your ears. Sometimes the woman can fight for the man and sometimes the conflict within relationships like whenever they decide to be friends because Tina isn't on is not on board with Newt in the first movie at all right. but she's on board with him mm-hmm. and I don't like I didn't like her being sidelined no and then like I like how the last thing you see of her at the end of the first movie is whenever he says that he wants to deliver her, her copy little, in person and she does that little hop I mean she's just great too. But we also she, never see them like did she ever do that and I feel like Newt would have Good, he had the international ban. Yeah. But, again, there was only seven months between the first movie and the second movie. Oh, okay. Even though Johnny Depp's hair in the first scene that you see him in doesn't show that because I've gone three months without a haircut and I still have very short hair. I know. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, I, I'm just baffled at the way that they handle these characters that we really love. Well, even like Jacob, I, I thought... Gosh, that actor's so good. Um, they had him under the love spell, and they did all these things with him. I hated that, by the way. I did too. Yeah, it was too. It was too easy. It was too easy, and it was too out of character. And basically, it's like, oh, we have these two characters that we love, and oh, and one of them roofied the other. And again, in this climate, well, I would disagree with that. Um, I would say because that's something like at Hogwarts. Um, on Valentine's Day, all the boys, like, it was a joke that was, like, the boys needed to be careful what chocolates they ate because girls potioned a lot mm. of their chocolates. That's just, that is part of this universe. So to me, that wasn't rapey or sexual harassment or cagey. Mm-hmm. She was just trying to get him to do what she wanted him to do. But we lost so much of Jacob Especially because in the beginning, before you find out that he is under the potion, he's just, he's just boorish. Well, he's just... No, I got immediately he was under a spell. Well... Because he was totally weird. Right. But that's the thing. is like, that's our first impression of this character who we... We were sad when they said goodbye to him in the first movie. Right. When they thought they were never going to see him again. Right. And I... Yeah. And then... And it would have been interesting, too, if we see him rediscover the wizarding world all over again, mm-hmm. in a way. Like, what if that had been... Like, what if he had been obliviated, but he kind of fell in love with Queenie, and she, he found out she was a witch? It, like, It's an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind thing. They keep falling back in love with each other. Well, why and why wouldn't they, if it's true love? Yeah, I think no, I think that would have been great. Again, it's plot structure. It's Yeah, it, this, this movie lacked a lot of plot structure. Na- structure. However, Queenie... I really liked her arc because I would not have seen it. It seemed a little too out of left field for me. I Overall, I just wasn't really down with the way that Queenie was in this movie. I can see that. Because they, they changed her from, from flighty, flighty witch with a heart of gold to manipulative witch who's just leading by her crazy womanly wiles. Oh, I, I would disagree in the sense of I see her as someone desperate to have a quote normal life mm-hmm. and just isn't. I mean, and that, I mean, honestly, that does make sense because, you know, she even says in the first movie that, oh, Tina's the career girl, you know, I just do what I do. Right. And it's, and it's, de- it's definitely a, a time period and they're orphans. Mm-hmm. 
But I think my problem is that they didn't really establish that properly in the first movie. Because in the first movie, Queenie gets stuff done. I know, she's such a powerhouse. Yeah, and they, like, to me, she just felt weak in this movie. Yeah. And, um, I agree. And, um, I also, uh, another character that I'm having a hard time with uh-huh. is Nagini. I was waiting to hear what you were thinking about um, that. I still don't know what I think. Yeah. Because Nagini, um, spoilers galore, everybody, is a horcrux. Yeah. So the woman Nagini in this movie, uh, she's under a blood curse where she tra- can transform into a snake. And well, she has to transform yeah, into a snake. She has to. And then eventually she will be trapped there forever. And she becomes what we always thought of was Voldemort's pet snake, Nagini. Correct. And it turns out that, no, it was just another one of Voldemort's minions who happened to be a snake. Which is cool because then it's not like Nagini is under his spell. It's like, oh, Nagini had her own but Na- but consciousness. But she's scared of Grindelwald. Yeah, well, and that's the that's the problem that I have. And I'm sure they're going to address this in a future movie. Right, but just right now. Yeah. I hope that we look at this, look at this episode mm-hmm. after whatever the next movie is and go, okay. We just had to see the middleman. Yeah. Um, but right now, I really just don't know how I feel about yeah. it. And I liked her as a character. I did too. And it, I liked that she looked at Credence. She goes, just because you don't need to know who you're born. That's not who you are. Yeah. But the fact that she was a moral center and later becomes like... A horcrux? Yeah. That it, that caught me. So like, Yeah. So get ready for a major character turn at some point. At some point, I'm assuming. Um, or that she's in, under a lifelong Imperius curse. Yeah. Um, uh, gosh. Um, I really liked Newt's brother. Mm-hmm. And I liked their relationship. Yeah. I no, felt very real. The one thing that caught me about between the two of them is, like, obviously character arc-wise, it's great that he hugged him at the end. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the third X-Men movie. Oh, Whenever, yeah. whenever, uh, or no, no, I'm sorry. It's the end of the second X-Men movie. Whenever they have the love, love triangle between uh, Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Cyclops. Yes. And after Jean Grey supposedly dies. Yes. And he, he, Wolverine is sitting there hugging Cyclops and like trying not to cry. Like, she's gone. She's gone. That reminded me a lot of that. That's not necessarily a criticism because that is the best X-Men movie. But uh, it's one thing where I was just like, oh, that's where they got that from. I can see that. Mm-hmm. But I, I dug it, and I, I liked their relationship. I did, I did like that it, like, because, you know, in the, in the first movie, you just think of Newt as, like, this eccentric guy, but, like, you know, just all and around as, and good And as a guy. war hero brother. Yeah, but but in this one, it's like, there's really no reason for you to be so standoffish with your brother, because he just wants to be a part of your life. But it's also just Newt being Newt. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying, is that it made it layered. It wasn't, like, him being a dick. Right. It wasn't him, like, it wasn't some conflict between them besides the fact that his brother was uh, engaged to Lita. Right. Um, it was just the fact that for whatever reason, these two are just never on the same page. Totally. And, and not that either one of them was bad. Right. You know? Can I jump to something completely random that I loved in this movie? Yes. Um, so I love seeing the day-to-day of the wizard life. Uh-huh. So like when you're, whenever you go to the Weasleys, you just are inundated with it. Mm-hmm. And I loved the little sprinklings of that in this. Yeah. Um, I loved like when they're standing in the British ministry of Ma- magic and you see like the vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. and you see the house elves washing the windows. Yeah. I loved, I, I really 
really oh and uh, whenever he puts like the wind spell on the order that's following him yeah and that like he like brings him away which is some great wire work and i would love to see some bts and how they did that um because it was it was so neat um he's like all, like three inches off the ground it's so yeah. so i really love that and i wanted more of that like when we went into um nicola flamel's mm-hmm. so flamel is the creator of the sorcerer's stone or right. the philosopher's stone he's actually i don't know if historical is the right word but he existed previous to the harry potter universe i love that yeah um that's actually one of the, so we'll finish up with a couple of characters uh, I want to go back to your to what you were saying about like what you loved and wish you had seen more of because I agree totally with what well, you're saying. Just to finish that out, to be honest, uh-huh. going into Flamel's house, I was hoping for like when you go into Molly Weasley's house, like right. there's things flying through the air, dishes are being done. That was our house. You could have just come in our house. Yeah. Well, and again, I think it's a lack of writing and putting their imagination in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, Nicola Flamel. So I don't imagine that you would recognize that actor. I th- it reminds me of um, Billy Crystal from Princess Bride. It does a little bit. Humpadink, humpadink, humpadink. So that actor's name is Brontus Jodorowsky. Does the name Jodorowsky sound familiar to you? Yes. El Topo. <gasps> so his father is Alianjo Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, uh-huh. uh, who directed, starred in, uh, wrote El Topo, The Holy Mountain, and Santa Sangre. Those are Santa Sangre. Those are the three wow. that people uh, know. Okay, of okay, okay. So, super cult filmmaker. For those of you who don't know, El Topo is considered uh, the actual genre that people call it is an acid western. Yes. Um, and it was a midnight movie, and he's a cult filmmaker, and he's also like a mystic of his own, you know? Really? Yeah, like uh, just weird, you know? Huh. Um, y- you have to be in the right place to watch his movies because they have some really bizarre and gross imagery in them. Yes. Uh, but you know, it's very art. It's very artistic. Yes. Uh, so in El Topo. The first shot in El Topo is of El Topo and his son on horseback, and El Topo's clad in black, and his son is naked. Yes. That's Nicola Flamel. Crazy. The naked son. That's crazy. So it's crazy that they cast him as this uh, all-powerful alchemist, and his father being who his father is. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I don't know if that was intentional or not. I don't. I was trying to find out more about the casting of him, and I couldn't find anything. And it might be, and it might not have not have come out yet. Yeah. But the makeup on him is pretty great. The makeup is pretty good. Yeah. Um, especially and, when he goes, when Jacob goes, "Are you a ghost?" Yeah. <laughs> he looks, and he looks a lot like his dad does now, because you know his dad's like in his nineties now. That's crazy. Um. But yeah, that's that's one of the main IMD beings that I wanted yeah, to bring. Yeah, I up. wanted more Flamel, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand like when he opened the book and he, they were like. Believe in yourself. You can do it. And I'm like, you created the Philosopher's Stone. You don't need anybody telling you yeah, anything. You, you know, that kind of reminded me of, you're going to roll your eyes at me, but oh, there's no. a South Park episode. Oh, here we go. Uh, where Stan, one of the main kids, has to coach a hockey team. It's basically him doing the Mighty Ducks, you okay, know? Okay, okay. Uh, and at the end, he like the hockey team has to actually go uh, 
play like the Detroit Red Wings or something like that. And okay. it's five-year-olds just being like smashed up by the Detroit Red Wings. And the whole time he's like, no, we just have to believe in ourselves and we'll win. And they're gearing up for the big ending. And then they lose. And then it goes over to the Detroit Red Wings. And it's like they had this whole arc that was never shown on screen. And like, you know, everybody's like, we did it. We did it. And then one guy just comes out on the ice. He's like, I'm proud of you, son, to one of the other hockey players. It's amazing. So that's kind of what the whole Flamel thing reminded me of because it's like, well, I didn't see any of that arc. When did you stop believing in yourself, you know? And I, I, I don't know. Like, it didn't bother me that much, but it is something that I definitely noticed. Well, whenever I see, whenever I think of Flamel, I think of a lifelong friend of Dumbledore mm-hmm. and this crazy alchemist who can do something, I mean, create the thing, the elixir of life. Yeah. And, uh, and he was kooky and he was fun. I just wish... I did like the interactions between him and Jacob. I did too. I thought it was funny. And like him running uh-huh. is hysterical. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't not like it. I just was like, I wanted more. Right. Um, what was cool though, when he did show up, um, at the graveyard, the, do you, did you recognize the spell? Uh, is that the same spell from the last Harry Potter movie Yeah. that they used to protect, uh, Hogwarts? Nope. No. Nope, this is finite incantatum, and it might be, it might be. However, what ma- it makes me think is the um, the deadly fire. Mm-hmm. So the fire that you see in the room of requirement, the one that the one that killed children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that is considered um, one of. It's not an unholy curse, but um, in the books, it kills one of the Horcruxes. Yeah, that's that's right. I remember that. So um, I'm pretty sure Finite Incantatem is that like very, very powerful fire. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. That was cool. I, I like that whole scene. So here's here's one of the thing about the, the last scene. So you know my feeling on people fighting clouds at the end of movies. I know. It bothers me. And that wasn't the worst part of Suicide Squad. It wasn't, um, but it was not the best. No. Uh, so what I liked is that they still did the whole, we're fighting something ethereal and big that it is not like, it kind of was along the lines of fighting a cloud at the end. Right. But they, but the fire dragons and like they made it physical and they made it tangible. And then you actually could see what was going on and how they were fighting it. And it wasn't just zapping light at clouds. So I actually, I, I liked the final quote-unquote yeah, battle. And, and it's important that they do that because if you think of Harry fighting Voldemort at the very end, like that's a battle. Yeah. Or um, Dumbledore fighting Voldemort or, you know, like the Harry Potter world has very much established what it, what magic versus magic looks like. Mm-hmm. And that was magic versus magic. Right. And so I'm very glad to... To see that, and yeah, it's not a dark cloud. I mean, in the way, Vin, I mean, I, it, 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 we might have some dark cloud fighting. I know. I'm just prepared for. I it. thought we were done with it in the first movie. Yeah, but I don't understand where that where that trend came from. I don't. Why either. are we fighting clouds and beams of light? I don't know. Um, no, I. But overall, I I actually liked that whole scene. And see, for me, I wanted more Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. I mean, I could have done with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that I was surprised that I liked the last scene the way I did because it was the same trope of fighting a cloud. Yeah. I will say this time around, Queenie going over Mm -hmm. got me a little bit. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, this is inevitably going to be one that we own. So maybe Queenie in this movie will grow on me a little more. But it was such a 180 from the last movie that it was just jarring to me and I'm not on board yet. To me, I can see exactly where you're coming from. But I also saw a woman who was desperate. I can see that. I wish they would have... I wish that she would have been directed better on that, and I wish that they would have written it better well, I was, on that. I, I honestly don't think I think it's a it's a writing, and I, I wonder. I, no, I think you're right. You're right. And I wonder too, because she went through the she did her scenes, and the arc was in the scenes, but we just I, I just overall wasn't crazy with how this story laid out mm-hmm. because I feel like there could have been another couple drafts. Yeah. Um. Now. The most important part of this movie, the creatures. Yes. Oh. We have one more character we haven't even talked about yet. What? Lita. Girl. I don't know. And I like Zoe Kravitz. I thought Zoe Kravitz did a really good job. I like Zoe. I I just. I thought it was weird that they sidelined so many characters from the first movie for her. Now, she has my favorite line in the movie. Which is, what, what? Line is that? Oh, Newt, you've never met a beast you couldn't love. I know that that especially after that story. By the way, there are a lot of dead babies in this movie. I know it's almost like they were like, "This script isn't good enough. How can we get people on board?" Oh, well, pull the heartstrings, dead babies. I know, mamas and babies. Yeah, um, but I I thought that the backstory for Lita was interesting. Uh, I don't know, know how it, that fits in with the wider story. Um. I am confused because you've got like Bellatrix Lestrange and I don't understand how that, especially, so again, spoiler, Lita dies Mm -hmm. at the end of this movie. I don't get her justification for doing what she did and finding Grindelwald. Like, what connection does she have to him? I think she was just working with the Aurors. No, she went, like, went up and he was like, Lita, and he tries to woo her and like, and it was so specific I don't think she was. I don't think it was just working with the orders. Maybe she so. wasn't an order. Well, and you know she did have her whole backstory of. But I also so I, I thought of you, in this backstory, mm-hmm. and I thought of you is, God, the Jim Carrey the Grinch has such a complicated backstory and so unnecessary, I couldn't stop thinking about that when they were going into the whole backstory of like why he's hunting credence which i still don't understand yeah. why it's like a harry potter voldemort thing not why, down with that one why if one lives the other can't survive like i don't understand that especially because he like because corvus has been dead mm-hmm. and lita says all of that but also like that's bonkers to me that she would just trade a baby it, it didn't make a lot of sense. I think the payoff for that was better than the actual event because again, it gave it gave us it gave us my favorite line in the movie. A hundred percent. It gave us the reason why Lita has such a hard time fitting in. And it gave us a character who has a dark secret that she's never told anybody. And that scene with her fighting the uh Boggart. Uh, in class, and that's what she saw. Like, you know, that was a, it was a good scene. It was a good scene. I just... It was too complicated. You're right. Oh my God. And like, and Kendra Dumbledore... What? Kendra Dumbledore is Albus and Aberforth and Ariana's mother. Okay. Um, She didn't come over with the baby on a boat. Yeah. So was that supposed to be Dumbledore's mom in on the boat then? That's the only thing that makes sense. 
unless they were also they also sent a maid to have him adopted in New York. I, I don't know. You're you're right. It was overly complicated. I'm overall fine with Lita Lestrange. I would have rather sacrificed some of her screen time to get back characters from the previous yeah, movie. And, well, if you're gonna put them back in, I just if you're gonna I, or have them come in and be part of the movie like it just and it also was bizarre to me like I feel like it wasn't as I she still loved Newt but was it a friend love and he didn't love her that way anymore and she seemed to love his brother and so I really this is not on Zoe Kravitz I don't get her character at all that's fair enough I just don't get it, and I don't know why she stood up to Grindelwald. She didn't stand with the Aurors. Now, I get why she stood up to Grindelwald. Why? Uh, is because you you saw in there with the other Aurors who tried to, who tried to whatever the word for teleporting in a Harry Potter world apparate. is. Apparate. He tried to apparate out of there, and the fire caught them. So she was attacking Grindelwald to focus all, all of that onto her so everybody else could escape. Right, but why did he single her out and not just annihilate her just like the other Aurors? She wasn't an Auror. Right, I mean, look, I'm explaining to you the events. I'm not <laughs> explaining to you this plot, the plot structure. I don't get her martyrdom. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, it, it again, it's floating clouds and martyrs. That's what movies are now. Well, I don't get her martyrdom, and I don't... Now I've got to know, like, I gotta, like, go Google my heart's desire on how the Lestrange line continues. Well, because I think that her father was like one of the Lestrange cousins or something like that. Was he? That's the vibe that I got. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so what, so we'll get back to what you had wanted to talk about, which will inform one of the other points that I wanted to make. So let's talk about the beast. Beasties. Yes. Um, the Nifflers are very cute. So whenever we came home tonight, and again, we got home at like 1230. Yeah. Uh, Madison was laying down on the couch. And I, Nifflers always remind me of Madison anyway. My God. When they're like sniffing with their face on the ground and their legs are just mm-hmm. like dragging behind them. Madison does that every night, you guys. But Madison was laying down and I went and I looked at her and then she just kind of slightly rolled over and lifted her legs so I'd scratch her belly and she looked exactly like a Niffler. Oh my goodness. Um, um, and I love what Newt says is Grindelwald underestimates the power of simple things. The power of things he th- he finds simple. And like a Niffler saves the day. Right. I love that. And just, they took kind of everybody's favorite characters and... Um, and I love how the Chinese dragon kind of saves the day. I just like how the beasts consistently just keep saving the day. I mean, I know it's not the point of the movie. I wanted more of that. I he- here's, totally agree. Here's the thing is that if these movies were literally just like essentially Harry Potter X-Files episodes of him like going and collecting beasts. Oh, I'd watch it all day long. Absolutely. Him and Jacob doing that. I was disappointed that like, and, and again, I know why they don't just have it be the same thing because if they would have done this then the criticism would have been oh well they just remade the same movie again Star Wars Uh, but like it's like that's a Kappa a water demon it's like cool you want to go find it? Well, I don't think that's what this movie needed to be. It, It didn't need to be I just wish there was more of that and like whenever he captured the dragon cat uh it was over too soon 
Yeah, but it was such a good way to capture it. It was, yes. And I liked them bringing the bell back to it and everything. But it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, think about, again, I know that we keep saying we can't compare it to the first movie. But think of in the first movie, you had had him catching, um, you had him taking care of all the animals in the suitcase, right? Then immediately they go and they do that whole scene with the Niffler in the jewelry store. Which mm-hmm. was just great. And they immediately go to Central Park Zoo and catch the sex rhino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then from there, they have like the swooping evil right, and the Ministry so- of Magic. Like, t- like to me, that was one of the things I liked about Newt Scamander is that like he was a hero, and but he wasn't necessarily like everybody else was just like using their wands all over the place. And his whole thing was, oh no, I know how to use these animals. And that's but there something- was that in this, but also this wasn't Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I, I know. So that kind of leads me to something that I was afraid that was going to happen whenever I saw the first movie and kind of came true. What's that? Is that they used the notion of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as a backdoor pilot yeah. to to this plot with Grindelwald. And that's fine. And, you know, I can see how that's going to get more interesting if this if they do the story right. Yeah. But Well, like, Newt's going to command a, an animal army, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, it's going to turn in... Again, we're going we're gonna to get into another trope of every fantasy movie having a big battle scene at the end. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, and it's going to be fighting a cloud, and there's going to be a martyr, and... Yeah. There's going to be... Yes. You know what, you know what movie handled that I think the best out of any recent movie that's like fantasy sci-fi or something like that what's that uh war of the planet of the apes which we just watched because because that ended with a big battle scene but it wasn't about like you know commanding an army and rallying the troops it was about I'm getting I'm getting my tribe out of here and I'm gonna do what I have to do well and I think the next movies really need focus Mm -hmm. I disagree with you Yes, I love Jacob and Newt finding the animals. Mm-hmm. I just love it. But it was because there was a ban in New York on animals, and they were blaming the animals for the chaos that was happening, right? Yeah. So that's not the story of this movie. However, I was yearning for more what, what, what if the Nifflers helped Flamel? Right. <laughs> like, what if... I wanted to see the rest of the characters start to to have to endeavor them more and help them more. Uh, what if Tina had ridden the dragon cat or yeah. or they were able I don't know there was I can see where you're going with but I want to go and it needs to build well, on on the idea. It can't just be the idea. It needs to no, build. And I know I know you're right about that. My thing is that I wish they would have incorporated the animals more. I, t- uh, I can totally see that. Again, why was the swooping evil not in this movie? I don't know. You know, and like, you know, they had Pickett in there, which is great, but like he, you literally saw him like twice. No, you see Pickett a lot. Well, but they, they did sideline him again. Like he, the only thing that he did, he picked one lock and they're like, good job. And then you saw him like, well, that's how Lita so knows often. it's Newt. That's true. All right. That, that's fair. That, that's very fair. So Pickett had more to do. There was just a lot of the 
the first movie reminded us of the world and being in it. This one was very much like you're very much in the wizarding world the whole time. Like you go into the under the like sassy lady, French lady's dress. We're very much in the wizarding world. We're not really in the human world a great deal. Mm-hmm. I can see why they did that because inherently the next movie is really going to start affecting normal people, non non magics, mm-hmm. um, no mages. What was it in French? Uh, uh, non magiques. Yeah, non magiques. And then it will be and muggles. So we're going to see that. So I can see why they really wanted to really inundate us in the wizarding world, because mm-hmm. um, they didn't really care about secrecy and nobody was just getting um, obliviated as we went. Yeah. Um, I would say my favorite scene in this whole movie is Newt and Jacob searching for Tina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that. All bunch of and then Jacob's being like, "Oh, we're licking the dirt now," or <laughs> and and then the Nifflers sniffing, and that to me was just pure magic because it wasn't we have to go find these beasts. It was these beasts are helpful to me, and I am I am Snow White, and I am solving a lot of problems with these creatures, and I. I I did. I yearned for that, and maybe that's what you were hoping for. Maybe so. Again, like. I enjoy watching them search for the creatures and like, you know, basically National Geographic Steve Irwin uh, have to figure out, you know, where where is there a large body of water in the middle of New York, you know? Right. Uh, so like, so like, yeah, I would probably have fun just watching that. But from a story perspective, I at least just wanted like, because, you know, we got a lot of the Niffler, which is great because we both love the Niffler. Who doesn't? Um, we even got baby Nifflers. We, we got one scene of him in his, like, bestiary. Um, right, and I loved I loved that, and I... I, I just wish that the... If this movie is going to be called... Fan, if the series, if they're going to pre-title it Fantastic Beasts, and then, like, they had Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Fantastic Beasts, the crimes of Grindelwald. Right, well, now, right now, the next movies are called Fantastic Beasts 3, 4, 5. Well, also, what's so baffling to me is how was there not a... A grand meeting in the suitcase. Right. How was there not a grand meeting in the suitcase? So so that's the thing is that, like, if they're going to call it Fantastic Beasts, I want the creatures to be more involved. You know, this felt, it feels a lot like whodunit Scooby-Doo and everybody being like, how are we going to solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And I kind of lacked the teamwork effort effort and it didn't need to be perfect it didn't need i actually think you just hit the nail on the head at least from what i'm thinking is that and and again it goes back to sidelining characters goes back to sidelining the creatures it's like that teamwork aspect of like you know we are all screwed if we don't get this done what can we do right and you what if we if it was like newt was like telling his brother like you have to come down here and his brother was like i hate going down there yeah and but they all went because queenie left yeah and what are we going to do? Like, and it became a lot about Dumbledore, but I honestly would have been okay if this whole time, like Dumbledore was meeting them in the suitcase and mm-hmm. we see him almost at the end. Although I did love Dumbledore and Newt in the beginning. Yeah. Going around the city. I did love that. I want, I want Jude Law's corduroy overcoat. Oh, well. May you find it, sir. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but overall, so let's wind it down a little bit. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I think people should see this movie. Absolutely. 
because I feel like the first one is such a just a terrific fun ride Mm -hmm. and I feel like we're I feel like this movie is building up to something really really quite possibly magnificent Mm -hmm. and exciting knowing knowing this lore the end product is very exciting yeah this movie so I think I mentioned at the beginning for me the highs are really high and the lows are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm still giving this movie like a three and a half. So, like, you know, overall, it's good. And I will look forward to seeing it again. I think it was better the second time we saw it. I'm glad I um, saw it for the second time because I missed, like, there's a niffler in the background of something very serious mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. Stealing something. And I... Somehow we s- both missed that the first time. And Well, it's... No, not not that. Not the, not the blood pact. Mm-hmm. Like, literally in the background, the Niffler is stealing something. Gotcha. Like, completely nothing to do with the scene. All right, well, I'm going to have to do a third one. But we then. did miss the the hero Niffler stealing the blood pact. Yeah. I don't know how we missed that, but it was amazing. But here's the thing. This movie is getting a pass on the lows because... Yeah. I'm taking your word for it that like the overall story is going to be really interesting and it's going to really mean something. This movie has to it has to own that. Or the next movie has to own that. And it has to show us that this movie was necessary because yeah. right now it just it felt like clumsy storytelling. Clumsy storytelling that I like. Again, guys, I watched all the Friday the 13th movies in the span of like a month. So I am very forgiving of clumsy storytelling. Yes. Uh, I overall really enjoyed this movie. The next movie has to live up to something bigger. And that I think that would be the only reason why, I, if it doesn't do that, that would be the only reason why I go back and lower my rating on this. I agree. And I don't see myself watching this movie on its own. I can see it being in our collection. Uh-huh. But if the next movie is not good, uh-huh. I don't see us finishing our collection. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, uh, like when this one comes out, we'll probably buy it. We'll add it to our collection. If number three isn't good, then we'll probably still go see four and five, but we ain't buying them. Right. Yeah. And um, it, it, this is middle movie-itis, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is like the... This movie is like the Constitution. It's a living document. Hot yes. take, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, if the next movie doesn't live up to a former promise, then this movie probably will go down. I agree, and I. It's tough. It's tough, but you got to see it. And but, but it's it is fun, and it's fun to see. It's it, it is fun, and I, I'm and maybe if I didn't know as much, maybe I wouldn't think. Mm-hmm. as harshly again the highs are really high the yeah. stuff that I like in this movie I really like and I want that vacuum cleaner duster thing right you you find me Dumbledore's coat I'll find you the vacuum cleaner duster thing and you know life is just gonna be peachy I really feel like it, I'm getting the short end of the stick you really are <laughs> <laughs> no but you know three and a half and four and a quarter I think that's a very that's obviously a recommendation to see this movie yeah I just think we are I think the overall feel of this movie is really good. Hindsight, going in the nitpickiness of it is, ooh, I hope it, I hope, I hope it's building because it needs, I need some answers. Yeah. And I, and we're going to wait 
like how long? So it'll probably be another two years. Yeah, they're. I think they're doing two years between things. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, then I guess we are done for the night. It is. It is after two a.m. right now. Yes, it's time. We need to go to bed. I have a meeting at eight a.m. I have to go vote tomorrow. We both have to vote. Yes. Um and. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And check us out on Instagram. Come visit us on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Please, 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 please write us a review. And if you are trying to get us a holiday present, which you shouldn't have, um, (laughs) write a review. Um, It helps us to continue to grow. And I know we beg week after week, um, but they do mean the world. And we do read them. And so... Um, the other thing you can do for us is take your mom's phone, mm-hmm. pull up Apple Podcasts, download her Stitcher or your dad or your grandma, download those apps and subscribe, especially if you know that they're a movie lover and if there's a movie um, and we are hoping to do even more flashbacks um, as we kind of keep the ball rolling. Mandy's so, on Shutter, guys. I'm very excited. Oh yeah, Mandy's on Shutter. So we're hopefully going to have a lot more coming and um, especially too, if you have people who are always asking, what do I watch on Netflix? Um, If you've been listening, we give all sorts of recommendations because we're watching things and we watch things all the time and shout out to you, Tang. I'm so glad you're loving Haunting of Hill House because (laughs) it's so good. Um, So uh, we're here for your recommendations and hopefully help you guide what you should watch on Netflix or Hulu next. So um, for this holiday season, that would be an amazing gift to us. Yes. And with that being said, I think it's time. Time to peace out. I think it's time to peace out. So I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And thanks so much for joining us on Date Night at the Movies. See you very soon.